Bible Speaks with Audley McLean. The Bible Speaks is a weekly ministry of Harvest International. Our prayer is that the Bible Speaks will encourage you in your study of God's Word. You will be able to contact Audley at the address given at the end of this broadcast. And now, here's Audley. I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and trust that our times together today will bring glory to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Let your word speak to us and give us responsive hearts. We think of the words of the Lord Jesus to the churches in Asia Minor. Him that hath an ear, let him hear. Lord, open our hearts, open our spiritual ears and give us divinely guided responses to your dictates. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been looking at the book of Ephesians and picking out passages from which we've delivered messages. Today, I want to do it again, but with a focus on something that I believe we need to take a look at. I want to read from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12, which says, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The emphasis there is on between Gentile and Jew. And God doesn't make any differentiation between the Gentile. He sees all who are not Jews as Gentiles, unlike the divisions that we have circled ourselves with. And the other entity that God recognizes is the church the body of Christ. Several years ago, I was asked to speak in a conference on the role of the church in a discriminating world. And I thought, as I pulled my notes out from this presentation several years ago, that the social and economic demands of our society have driven us into a state of alarm. The strains of this cry have been heard from the hovels of horror in the poorest of our cities to the hallowed halls of our legislative and administrative governments. It's an alarm bringing attention to the horror of unfair discrimination, to the tragedy of hatred and isolation, which are rooted in racism and classism throughout our society. There's evidence of the world around us has made an effort, is making some progress, 
and all other symptoms of a divided society are being focused upon. The United States of America is attempting to get to grips with the evidence that discrimination based on the characteristics of the differences that the mosaic of this country is made up of is wrong. The rhetoric surrounding this issue could easily lead the uninformed to conclude that diversity in our population is an invention of the 20th century. The reality is that the founding fathers of the United States of America, at least in written statements, designed a national charter that would ultimately have a built-in capacity to embrace differences. Its motto, out of many, one. That is strong language. This language most poignantly addresses the intent, the intent of oneness that we're not all the time realizing. Did you believe that that language included you if you are of a different nationality or a different color from the founding fathers? Well, originally they didn't intend that because people of color, for example, were not thought of as being whole people. Women weren't invited to the table. And before someone becomes uncomfortable with me in my presentation and begins to accuse me of inciting racism, let me remind you that I'm not making this up. The annals of our national history are full of evidences that the land of the free has not always been consistent in allowing access to the many of our mosaic. Of the many, a great portion have been excluded, disenfranchised, rejected, persecuted, and denied. That's history. That is reality. This is the context in which we operate. I say we, those who have been saved by grace and are headed for heaven and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. This is the backdrop on which stage the church of Jesus Christ is called to flesh out the principles of the person of Jesus Christ and to model the kingdom of God. Some of you will be uncomfortable rather, when I remind you that the mission of the church, the mission of the church leaders, the mission of the body of Christ is not to fix this sick, divided society. It is not the mission of the church to reform our society, whatever society you're a part of. I stand on biblical ground when I unreservedly declare that the mission of the church is not the reformation of the society. It's not the formation of a moral, a moral majority, nor the formation of the United States of America or Africa or whatever your nation is. We are, as the church, are called upon to be a breathing, living, loving, vocal minority dedicated to Jesus Christ and committed to the cause for which God stripped heaven of its prize, the Son of God. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, Jesus said, and that beloved Son said, In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good courage, I have overcome the world. He didn't say reform the world, he said stand up, stand up for Jesus. The backdrop of social wrong and multiple discriminations 
are ugly realities associated with the stage on which we provide demonstrable evidence of God who loves us, of the Holy Spirit who indwells the believer, and of Jesus Christ who called us and commissioned us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'd like us, however, to acknowledge that the world seems to be ahead of the church in some of this inclusionary language, attempting to deal with it. I remember one Christian university that fought against inclusion of races until the federal government threatened to withdraw the tax-free status, and thus they changed. That ought not to have been the case. We've we ought to have stood up like the first church in Acts chapter 2. They came from all the nations around on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible says together they were together at one place. And it was then that the Holy Spirit of God came. I wonder if it is that this separateness, this division is keeping us from experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the revivals for which we preach and pray. My friend, God has given you and me an awesome responsibility. Oh, I acknowledge that over the last several decades, there's been shifting to the biblical position in church life. But that wasn't enough to stop one elder from calling two other black men and myself aside when we were entertained in the home of one of its white parishioners. They were all white. And told us that our being there was bad for the testimony. And that wasn't a century ago. That was in the 1960s. My friend, it took that long before many of our groups of believers began to see the fact that God has called out of one all for his name's sake. My friend, you and I as believers have an awesome responsibility to demonstrate that Jesus Christ makes us one. If our role is not that of renovating our society, how different from that renovation role is our responsibility? My friend, I suggest to you different, big time different. Let me suggest that the metaphors used to describe the church by the Lord Jesus Christ himself tell their own story. He says you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Salt is to preserve from corruption. Light is to bring illumination into a darkness. So Jesus Christ is saying we live in a corrupt world and the dark society. And we who belong to him ought to carry his light into this world, not become part of it. Oh, my friend, do you see the role? Do you see the significant difference that yours is from the world's? And then, to make it even more poignant, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians encourages us to come out from among them and be separate. He's talking about the world system. We ought to be in it, but not have it. We ought to demonstrate how different God makes us in Jesus Christ. My friend, I suggest to you that our society would be far better impacted if we took a stand for Jesus. A stand that didn't wrap us up into a so-called majority 
to win elections or to be thought hail fellow well met. Jesus wasn't that. Paul wasn't that. Peter wasn't that. Paul and all of his companions weren't that. You ask Paul and Silas as he sang in that Philippian jail how the church got started there, not by getting a grant from the government or by getting the favor of the society, but by standing up for Jesus and wearing the shackles that Christ allowed the devil to put around them. My friend today, it's time. It's time I stand up. It's time you stand up. My friend, it doesn't matter how much we reform our society. Jesus Christ is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing because he made it that way. And you and I are called upon to make a stand for him in this marketplace by living together with those who love his name, by sharing together with those who have been called from darkness into light, from corruption into purity. I realize that by now I've lost some of you and perhaps lost some support for this program but God be glorified. God has called you and God has called me out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, both Jews and Gentile, into one glorious body called the church. The Holy Spirit has given the church a beautiful variety of synonyms by which to express the glorious unity that there is in the body of Christ, where his building, his bride, his temple. Oh, may God grant you the willingness to let Jesus radiate through your life. In his name, Amen. I've wandered far away from God. This program is cared for by listeners who care. Your prayers and financial investment in this ministry helps to keep the good news on the air. We look forward to hearing from you and invite you to write us at Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478. Again, that's Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478.